Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Look around you. If you have a neighbor or visitor here today, you see someone who visit, doesn't have a Bible or perhaps a King James Version of the Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? And I want to take a moment while you're doing that to greet all of our visitors and guests here today. Thank you for coming to the services at Heritage Baptist Church. We're honored you're here today, and we pray that this service be a blessing to you and that the Lord would speak greatly to your heart. While you're doing that, I also encourage you to be back tonight for our evening service. We'll be back in our series uh, from the book of Genesis, chapter 49, on family portrait. And we're looking at the fifth son of Jacob, the fifth son born to Jacob. His name is Dan. And we're going to see some interesting things about Dan. I know that will encourage you this evening. So you come for that tonight to be uh, strengthened the scriptures and just to get something to help you get going for Sunday, Sunday, uh, for Monday, Monday through Friday of this coming week. Matthew 14, scroll down to verse 22 with me, please. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into his ship to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went forth unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, that is Jesus, and he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now, that is the shortest prayer in the Bible, probably the greatest prayer you can praise. Lord, save me. Amen. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. I want to preach a message entitled this morning, The Perfect Storm, or St. Jesus in Your Storm of Life. Father, this morning we thank you as we assemble here today. There are many, many different circumstances, situations found in this room. And we're just praying today that you'd consecrate this room, this heritage center that you've blessed and given us that is used throughout the week for preaching and for special activities for the church. And God, for now, we pray for this to be a preaching room, a moment of time where, Lord, you set apart this room and our hearts, our attention, that we would hear from God and that we would look at this situation and see personal application as it applies to our life. Certainly, Lord, there are many going through some type of a storm. There's some coming out of a storm, some entering a storm, and some that are right in the middle of a storm. And we're praying this morning that, God, you'd help us to see 
how all of this unfolds and how Jesus, we must look for Christ in the midst of the storm to and for the glory of God. Now we pray, Lord, this morning that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that he would open our eyes and behold the wonderful things of God. We pray the Holy Spirit of God would be our companion and who comes alongside of us and uh, Lord would reprove us of sin, righteousness, and judgment as the Bible says. We pray tonight that Lord you'd cleanse us from what James says, all filthiness of flesh and superfluity of naughtiness and that with meekness, with a humble heart, with a teachable spirit, we may receive the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Father, we don't come today to be intellectually stimulated. We come to have our hearts stirred. We come to you to speak to our souls. God, we want you to do some soul work among us today and do something great and mighty that magnifies your son, but speak to us about our circumstances, storms of life that we enter into. Thank you for what you'll tell us. Thank you for what we'll see here. We pray for these things now, Lord, of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have any of you ever, now I know a lot of you probably do cruises during the year. I'm not much of a cruise person, to be quite honest with you. I don't like cruising. I went one time, bad experience, didn't like it. Didn't get caught in a storm, but just didn't like it for whatever reason. But some of you like cruises, and I don't want to discourage you. One of our church members came to me last night. We had a fellowship dinner here last night, and they said, pray for me, Pastor. We're, I'm going to be on a cruise for 32 days. I thought, 32 days on a ship. I said, man, I said, hope you're not going by yourself. And it's a, it'll be a good cruise. It's fine. It's, it's, it's a well-experienced one, but that's not me. That's not for me. But I wonder how many have ever been on a fishing boat or cruise or some kind of a ship caught in a storm? I want you to see a video of a storm for just a minute. Now, I'm going to caution you. You're going to feel a little seasick. You're going to turn a little green. Now, this isn't a cruise ship. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. But look at those waves. If you're a passenger on that, you've never been on an experience like that. You talk about a ride. That is a ride. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're not really sure if you're going to make it. You're going up and then down. And sometimes going down is worse than going up. And the waves are crashing. In minutes feel like hours, and if it's a long storm, an hour feels like eternity. And I want you to imagine with me, look at that wave coming over that. You just kind of wonder, is the mask going to break? You kind of wonder, are we going to make it? And you're just hearing things go from one side to the other. You're going from one side to the other. I don't even know how they got the camcorders to stay straight on this as they watch that. But, you know, we, we, we think about a storm. Storms are not an enjoyable thing to be part of. And yet, we see this morning a story about a storm. You can turn that off, guys. Thank you. The definition of a perfect storm is a violent storm arising from a rare combination of adverse meteorological factors. The term perfect storm defines a storm of epic proportions. From a, from a weatherman's point of view, it has all the right elements of just bringing a storm. For the person in the storm, it is less than perfect. For the child of God, for every person here today, there is a perfect storm God has for your life and for mine. Not perfect in the sense that we look at it in terms of the, the weather elements and the rain and the winds and all that, but there is a storm 
or many storms sometimes that God has to put into our life to help draw us closer to Him, to help teach us to pray, to help us realize that we need God more than ever before. Storms are the trials, the troubles, and the tumultuous problems that we will encounter in our lives. This morning, I want us to see the perfect storm or seeing Jesus in the storm. Let's get right into the passage this morning because there's a lot to see. Number one, I want you to notice the compelling in the storm. The compelling in the storm. Notice what it says in verse 22. And straightway, wherever, and you see the word straightway used at least three times in this passage. That means immediately or quickly. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. I want you to underline that word constrained. The word constrained is where we get our word. I'm using the word compelled. In other words, Jesus forced them to get into the ship. They didn't have a choice to matter. Leading into us, we saw some of that last week. Jesus had taken his disciples onto the eastern shore, the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're in the countryside outside the city of Bethsaida. There in the countryside where it's just a lot of green pasture and uh, uh, multitudes came out to be with Jesus. And we know the story there that there were at least five 5,000 men plus women and children, and if the historians and, and uh, theologians are correct, there could have been upwards to 25,000 people that came from the western side, and many that came down from the Bethsaida area to come to hear Jesus, and he was ministering to them, he's preaching to them, and of course, one of the great miracles of the Bible occurred during that time, before evening set, Jesus fed a multitude with five loaves and two fishes, it's a miracle story, as he put the disciples to test, and he said, how many loaves do you have, and they kind of looked around and said, well, Lord, we didn't really come with any food, and we really don't know what to do. And uh, one of them, Philip, said, well, Lord, it would, take, it would take eight months of wages or 200 penny worth just to feed him. We just give them a little bit there. Andrew, on the other hand, is kind of scoping the audience nearest to him. And right there in the front is a little lad, just a little boy, of a small elementary school age. And he noticed he carried a little sack with him, and it was uh, what we would call a Hebrew lunch sack. And this little sack, he checked out the boy ahead of time. He kind of vetted him out and found out the little boy had five little barley loaves and two little fishes. And he had a conversation with the little boy. He says, hey, son, Jesus is looking for some bread. Do you think you're willing to donate that and give that to Jesus? And, and the little boy just says, sure, I would love to do something for Jesus. And he comes up then and as he presents, tells Jesus about this little boy. It's presumed this little boy has already donated his lunch, his little, his little loaves and two fishes. And Jesus takes these loaves and two fishes, looks up to heaven, gives thanks for these little provisions, which... The disciples are still wondering in their tired minds, what's Jesus going to do? He blessed him, and the Bible says he broke it. He took what was small and made it even smaller. He put it in the hands of the 12 disciples, if you can imagine that. So I want you to think with me for a minute. Five little barley loaves, two little fishes. He put enough in the hands of each disciple. They just had a small portion. And amazingly, they went out. They assembled this, this group of people into companies of 50s and 100s. He organized the situation so they could expeditiously feed all these people. And as they did so, they fed this multitude, and the Bible describes that the multitude took as much as they would. In other words, people were hungry. You know, they were Baptists. Baptists are hungry, amen? They Baptists like to eat. I think if we had a, if we had a buffet or food all the time, I think everybody here would be happy Baptists, amen? We had a food, food thing last night, and there was a lot of food there, a lot of food left over, and I was amazed that guests that came, I think they took more home than they ate there at the, at the dinner last night, you know? But, uh, you know, we love to eat, you know, and eating's a good thing. And these people, they had no clue how much food was there. They just took as much as it went. And before the disciples' eyes, the Lord is multiplying these little loaves and fishes before their eyes and just impressed upon them how great this miracle was. 
He said, well, you know what? We're not going to have any leftovers. He said, gather up the fragments that remain. And so they found 12 laundry-type baskets, and they went out among this group of these 50s and 100s, these 25,000 people, and amazingly, they collected 12 baskets full of the, of the fragments. What a great miracle that's happened here. And yet in all of that, the, we read John chapter 6, the crowd wanted to take Jesus. They said, okay, we're convinced he's the king. He's the one that we, we need to raise up to dethrone Herod, who's the king over all of Palestine, but Jesus didn't come to be their material king. We talked about that last week. You see, the world is looking for a material king. They want a Jesus that can put new clothing on them. They want a Jesus that can put money in their bank account. They want a Jesus that makes them prosperous and rich. And that's not the Jesus that the Bible speaks of. The Jesus we have is the living Son of God. Amen? He's the God of glory. He's the God who provides all of our needs. He supplies all of our needs according to our riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus, as he sees that, notice verse 22, Jesus Jesus takes control of this situation. And how does he do that? Well, number one, he takes the crowd and he, and he says, he puts them on hold. He tells the disciples, hey guys, it's late. Here's what we're going to do. There's a ship here. I want you guys to go back on the other side. I'll meet with you over there. He puts them on the ship. The Bible says in verse 22, he constrains them. He compels them. Literally, he forces them. He doesn't give them a choice. He says, guys, you're going to go there. This is by authority of me as your savior and as your leader. You get on the ship. I'll meet you on the other side. He sends the disciples away uh, over to the other side. They're boarding the ship. And then Jesus in his masterful way, he just disperses the crowds. He says, guys, he said, listen, it's late. At the end of the day, you got a long way to go. Walk home. We'll, we'll see you another time. He disperses them. And then right after that, Jesus goes up into the mountainside there of Bethsaida and goes there to pray. Now, my attention I want you to look at this morning is verse 22. First of all, Jesus constrained these people. It says in verse 22, straightway, immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship to go before him into the other side to, uh, while he sent the multitudes away. The constraining is Jesus Jesus taking control of the situation. Now here's a thought as we get into the subject matter today. There are times and occasions where the Lord forces us into situation. He turns events around and he compels us into a situation where we are not in control. And you'll notice as we read through this subject matter, Jesus is constraining these disciples to go into a storm. They're constraining them to get into a situation that they could not quickly get out of. They did not have the collective ingenuity or wisdom to get out of the situation. It would be a situation where they would have to trust him. And beloved, this morning what I'm trying to tell you today is that every now and then the Lord in his love for us as he tries to grow us, as he tries to help us understand his greatness, as he tries to help teach us how to pray, the Lord many times constrains you and me. He compels us into situations that are out of our control. There are times when the Lord constrains us into a health trial. There are times he might constrain us through an accident. There might be times he Compels us into a ship that leads us into a storm. Whatever it may be, it may be a circumstance, it may be a situation, a situation out of our control where there is no plan B, where we must lean on God and trust Him. We see the Lord compelling these disciples. Remember this morning, if you're in a storm right now, and some of you are, if you're in a storm where you feel like you're out of control, and you feel like the water, like we saw on that video, the water's coming into your ship, and you feel like you're sinking a little bit, and you feel like you're going both, both ways, and you feel like you're tossed in the waves, always remember this, the Lord may be compelling you to 
restore because there's a bigger lesson he wants you to get out of that. We see the Lord compelling. But notice, secondly, we not only see the compelling, would you notice the commotion? These men are in a storm. They're in a storm of epic proportion. Now, you've got to remember, some of these men were fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew that the Sea of Galilee was below sea level. They knew that it was surrounded by mountains. And the, and the, and the situation as such provided that the temperature setting and the winds could cause for unpredictable storms. Storms were not unusual on the Sea of Galilee. Unpredictable storms were not unusual. But a storm like the one these men went into was something they had never experienced. Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. They were experienced in fishing through storms. They knew how to navigate through that. They knew how to anchor their boats and still come up with a large supply they bring home. But on that particular day, on the evening, we find these men in a commotion that is out of their control. Notice what the Bible describes it for us here. In verse 23, and when he would send the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now let me just say this as a thought here today. While these disciples are getting ready to go on, the, they're getting on the ship, and they're out on the water, and we're going to see in this passage, they're, they're rowing out there for maybe as long as nine hours, because the sun had set, they were in the, they were, the sun was setting around five or six o'clock in the evening. We find them rowing until about the fourth watch or three o'clock in the morning, so maybe they could have been out there as long as nine hours. Isn't it interesting, before Jesus comes to them, we find our Lord in verse 23 in a mountain praying for them. And I just want to give you a thought as we think about this today. I'm thankful today we have a Savior who's our great high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for you and me. Amen? He was praying for them all the time. May I remind you today, brother and sister in Christ, sometimes you think you're out of the eyesight of God, and sometimes you might think your storm is so big, and your circumstances so out of control, that you don't think that God is listening, or God's watching, but he is. I'm thankful today we have a high priest who lives making intercession for you and me. Jesus was praying in that mountain for those disciples. He's praying they would learn the lesson of faith from the feeding of the multitudes. He's praying that their hearts, which had become a little bit hardened because they were tired, that their hearts would be softened to the Lord. He went up to a mountain to pray. Let me remind you this morning, even as this service is going on, and in Baptist churches like this, where the gospel is being preached, thank God we have a Savior who knows all of us by name. And we have a Savior who's praying for you and I. He's praying for your storm. He's praying for your circumstance. He's praying for your loved one who's got cancer. He's praying for that person who's hospitalized. He's praying for that sorrow of your heart. Thank God this morning we have a Savior who's praying for you and me today. And we notice here, as he does so, he's there praying, and they're feeling like Jesus is far away. Listen, as long as Jesus is on the right hand of the throne of God praying, he's never far away from you and I. They thought he was far away there. And we get to 20, verse 24, and here's what the Bible says. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. And the Bible says, for the wind was contrary. We know because we find in Mark chapter 6 and in John chapter 6, the record of the storm. They were in a, commo they were in a storm that was a big commotion. They were in a storm that they'd never experienced before. They were in a storm that would test their strength. They were in a storm that would test their faith. They were in a storm that would cause them fear. They were in a storm that made them wonder if they were even going to live. They were in a storm that was out of control. Listen, this morning... When you're in a storm, when it's your storm, it can throw things out of whack. It can take a sunshine day and make it very dark. It can take a beautiful day and you might feel like the, dark, the horror of darkness is upon you. It might make you feel like you're out of control. It might make you feel like you don't know what's going on. It may make you feel like things are way out of, spinning out of control. You don't know what's going on. Notice we see the darkness in the storm. In Mark 6, 47, it says, when even was come. In Mark, John chapter 6, verse 17, it was now dark. We go down to Mark, Matthew 
Matthew chapter 14, verse 25, and describing the darkness. And it says, in the fourth watch of the night, they were in a storm at night. Now, it's one thing to be a storm in the daytime, but can you imagine being a storm at night? Oh, you can't see a thing. You, all you can see is the darkness. The moon is not out, and the, and the stars are not visible. And you're just out there in the dark wondering what's going on. And I remind you, when you're in a storm, it's a dark time in your life. You might be in a dark place in your life. The darkness is around you. Things seem murky. Things seem unclear. We cannot see clearly. Listen, when it's your storm, when it's your storm you're in, and you feel like all these things are turning upside down, you can't even think past the moment. You're wondering, what is God doing for me? What is God doing in this situation? Where's this all going to lead? You might have had a doctor's diagnosis. You might have gotten a pink slip at work. You might have been told that your mortgage has come due. You might be in a situation that's out of control, and things seem very dark. Let me tell you this morning, when you have a storm going on in your life, listen, you're in a dark place in your life, and you're wondering, will the light ever shine? There is the darkness in the storm. But notice we see the difficulty in the storm. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, the Bible says he saw them toiling and rowing. Toiling and rowing means they were putting out a lot of effort. Twelve men had oars and they're rowing away. We read later on in John chapter 6, verse 19, so when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, Listen, the, the Sea of Galilee was eight miles wide from, from the west to the east or the east to the west. A furlong is about 600 feet. 25 to 30 furlongs at most by the fourth watch of the night, nine hours later. At most, they only went about three to three and a half miles in length. They're toiling and rowing. They're putting all their effort into it. They're going nowhere. Hey, listen, when it's a storm of epic proportion, there are difficulties during the storm. You put out effort. You're sweating bullets. You're wondering what's going on. Your hair is turning gray. Your, your forehead is burled with wrinkles. You're, you're, you're stressed out. You're losing your appetite. You have sleepless nights. You're wondering how this is all going to go. And you, nobody understands the trial. Nobody understands the heartache. And nobody understands the, the, the worry and anxiety that is in your heart. Hey, listen, there's difficulty in a storm. You feel like you're rowing and you're rowing. You're rowing. You're not going anywhere there. Sound familiar? Storms are times of difficulties. Listen, those 12 burly men, those men who were fishermen, those men who were tax collectors, those men who were men of men, listen, those men were putting out all their strength for many hours consecutively, and they were powerless and weak in the midst of the storm. Those men were rowing in the storm, and they realized they weren't going anywhere. The wind was contrary to them. Every time they felt like they were going one inch forward, they were going two feet backwards. And that's how we feel sometimes. We feel the difficulty, the storm in our life. We're going, we feel like we go one foot forward and four feet back. We feel like we've made it, we were not going anywhere. We feel like we're going further back than further ahead. Can you imagine these men in nine hours time by the fourth hour of the watch, they've only gone about three to three and a half miles in length. We feel like whatever we're doing is failing. We're not doing much. We feel like we're going nowhere. We put a lot of effort into what we're doing, but it's all difficult. We go through all the doctor protocols. We take all the medicines we're supposed to take. We research all the, all the, all the professions we can find. We try to find the modern technology. We scroll deeply as far as we can into the internet to find some source of knowledge that can lead us to where we need to go. We try to find the lawyer that can help answer our question, whatever it may be. We're trying to find counsel. We're trying to find help. We do all these things. We're toiling and our rowing, but the Bible says they, they didn't go anywhere. 
oh, there's darkness in the storm, there's difficulty in the storm, but you notice the despair in the storm. These men were filled with fear. These men were spinning around. The Bible describes the storm. Their boat was tossed in the waves. The wind was contrary to them. So in other words, if you've ever walked in a windstorm, when the windstorm is blowing your way, you, it blows fiercely. And I, I'm not sure what the, what the, the, how, the, how much they clocked the, the speed of the winds, but I will tell you this, it was contrary to them, and they only made three to three and a half miles progress in about nine hours' time. It was a pretty strong wind. Maybe even stronger than a tropical storm. Just despair. Almost giving up hope, Paul described it like this in Acts 27, while they're in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea and the, the great cyclone Eurycladon had come down upon them. He said there were neither moon nor stars were out, and he described it when all hope was gone. There was commotion. I say this morning, if everyone going through a storm, God knows you're in this storm. He knows you feel the dark spots, the dark places. He knows you feel the difficulty. He knows the despair you feel. He knows the discouragement. I'm just saying this morning we see the compelling God put them in that storm. And we see the commotion, but I got some good news. Notice verses 25 to 26. Yes, there's a compelling and yes, there's a commotion. But thank God we see the coming. Amen. And in the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, Jesus went unto them. Listen, at your darkest moment, at the most difficult spot, when it seems like all hope is gone, when you're spinning around and the waves are filling up your boat, there's more water in the boat than sometimes there is out in the ocean, amen? And you feel like you're all drenched, and those men were drenched with water, amen? They were drenched with water. The storm was on them. The wind was blowing, blowing on them. And listen, for all those hours they were there, they were feeling the pressure of this. They weren't making any headway against the storm and the Bible tells us at that fourth watch at three o'clock in the morning Jesus went unto them walking on the sea and the Bible says that they saw him there John 6 19 says and so when they rode about five and twenty or thirty furlongs they see Jesus stand uh, walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship listen may I tell you this morning just when it's darkness Jesus comes just when it's the most difficult Jesus comes he doesn't tell us when but he comes amen he doesn't tell us what he doesn't announce his rival but he comes listen we see the coming Jesus came at that time and Jesus came to them in a way that they needed to know look at here the water might be filling up your boat you may not be able to see more than your hand in the darkness but Jesus comes. I remind you, child of God. I remind you, Christian friend. I remind you, those who've just gotten saved, Jesus comes in person when you have a storm. Listen, when, it, when you're in a storm, it's Jesus who comes personally, not a substitute. When you're in a storm, listen, it's Jesus who comes to you and for you. Look what it says there in Matthew. Jesus went unto them. Listen, Jesus comes in person, but notice Jesus comes in power. Did you notice verse 25 26? In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now we read that and we just say, okay, yeah, he's walking. The law of gravity. When you leave here, go down to San Leandro Marina. I dare you to go walk on water.
I dare you to walk away. You say, I'm light as a feather. Let's go see. Better yet, we'll take you over to Ocean Beach in San Francisco. Try to walk on that water. You get pulled out, dial 911, amen? He came unto them walking on the sea. Listen, the winds were still blowing. The storm was still going on. The rain was still coming down. The waves were still high. Hey, none of that affected Jesus in the midst of the storm. He's powerful. Listen, he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the creator of the weather. No storm's going to bother my Jesus. No wind's going to hold my Jesus back. Those men were rowing away 20 to 5 to 30 furlongs. You're hardly going anywhere. But Jesus is walking right, face forward, right in the midst of the winds, right in the midst of the waves, and none of that stopped him. And they're looking at it, and they said, oh my, we see a ghost. We see a spirit. And they were filled with fear. But I'm just saying today, these men saw Jesus in person. They saw Jesus in power. I read the story about three Baptist preachers that decided to go fishing. And so all three of them got on a boat. They went out somewhere in the midst of a lake there. And uh, one of them, the oldest of the three, decided, he says, you know, I'm feeling a little thirsty. He says, I need to get back over to the shoreline. We got a little hut over there with some water there. And so he just decided he'd go back over there. And amazingly, he, walk, he, he puts his foot over, over the side of the boat. And he starts walking on the water. Makes his way all the way back to the shoreline to go to the hut to get a drink of water. And he walks all the way back. And uh, both those men are watching him come back. And the second one the next a few hours later second one says well I'm feeling thirsty too he puts his foot out on the same side of the boat and he walks out on the water and amazing he walks from the water all the way to the shoreline makes his way to the little hut gets himself some water drinks and then he walks right back on the water same way he came well a little bit later the, the third preacher the third Baptist preacher happened to be a young preacher a new pastor in the making thought well listen if those two can walk on water I can walk on water he gets on the other side of the boat and as soon as he does it's about 25 feet of water he sinks and drowns all the way at the bottom the other two look at each other and they have this funny look on their face. They said, don't you think we should have told him that he should have been walking on the rocks to get over there? And I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus was not walking on rocks. Jesus walked on the water. Hey, listen, the law of gravity means you're going to fall, that your body weight is going to descend into that water. You're going to sink down deeply. But Jesus did not, did not, listen, Jesus is in control of gravity, amen? Jesus is in control of the element. He's in power walking on that water. He was, he was greater than the storm. He was greater than the waves. He was greater than the wind. He was greater than the rain. He was greater than all of that. I'm just saying today, let, let's get our heads around this fact that Jesus walked on water. Why? He's God. If he's God, he's in control of the whole situation, Amen? He's God. He did what no man could do. And notice verse 26. These men were filled with fear. They're wondering, what is going on? Did we see a ghost here? But listen, Jesus came to these men. He came to them in person. He came to them with power. But you notice Jesus comes to them with peace. These men look at Jesus here, and they're a little startled. I think a lot of Christians are the same way. When God, does, when God does manifest himself, when God shows up in your storm, and God makes something clear, and he shows you from his word, or he shows you from preaching, or he's about to answer your prayer, a lot of us are surprised. We're not really sure God's going to show up. We really don't see the God in the midst of the storm. And we get a little surprised. And like these disciples, the Bible says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea. Hey, it shouldn't have been unusual for Jesus to walk on the sea. There's nothing unusual about that. If he could take five little barley loaves and two little fishes, and he could transform them to feed 25,000 people and have 12 basketfuls of the fragments remaining that he could collect, that's not unusual for him to walk on the water. If he could make the, if he could make the heavens and the earth, and he could make you and me, and if he could do all those things, is it anything unusual? 
unusual for our God to walk on water, but the Bible says the disciples saw him walking on the sea and they were troubled. That's our problem. That's our problem, brother and sister Christ. When we see Jesus do something great, we're troubled. We think that's an anomaly. We think that that's unheard of. We think that's something that belongs to a different age. Let me tell you the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and the Jesus who opened up the, opened up the Red Sea and he took five loaves and two fishes and multiplied. He's the same God that you and I pray to. He's the same God that's on the throne. He's the same God that works in your life and mine just like he did for them. Remind this morning, we look at this Jesus and he comes to them with peace and they were troubled. A lot of Christians get troubled when God's about to work and as he saw the troubled looks on their eyes, notice what he said there to them. He gave them 10 words that, that calm every storm and 10 words you need to rest upon and 10 words today, if you're, going through, if you're going through a storm, these 10 words can help you. He looked at those men, he spoke to them in that gentle way and by the way, verse 27 says, straight where immediately Jesus said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Aren't you glad of that? He said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. He said it's not a ghost. It's not an angel. Definitely not a demon. It's not somebody else. It's not the Coast Guard. It's me. Amen. It's me. He says be of good cheer. You can be encouraged. Yes, the waves are still strong. And yes, the wind is still blowing. And yes, the storm is still strong. He said, but be of good cheer. You know what he's saying to you? It's all good. When you're in a storm, it's all good because Jesus is with you on the storm. It's all good because he's got a perfect plan for your life. It's all good because he's going to fix this thing at the end. It's all good because all things work together for good to them that love God. I remind you this morning, we see Jesus speaking to these men in peace. He said, be of good cheer. It is I, and be not afraid. Let me remind you, before Jesus calmed that storm, they had to hear the precious word of Jesus. Can I encourage you this morning, get in your Bible reading. Can I encourage you this morning to read the Bible and listen to the words of Jesus when you're going through that storm and calamities come and your heart is overwhelmed and you have sleepless nights. Read the word of God and find your peace and read the word of God and find the promises of God true and read the word of God and hear him say, be of good cheer here it is I be not afraid listen some of us need to get in God's word and realize God can control the storm and we need to read the word of God and realize that God still is on his throne and it doesn't matter what the politicians do and it doesn't matter whether or not we make advances against cancer what really matters is that God is in control and nothing changes God oh we see the coming listen some of us are in storms this morning we need Jesus to come to you this morning in the storm we see the compelling, we see the commotion, we see the coming, which you notice the command. Jesus had been praying for these men. He knew their fears. He knew their insecurities. He knew their minds were in a fog. We get to verse 28. To verse 30, the focus goes from all the disciples to one man. We get off the group, we look at the individual. Jesus came to them in person. Jesus came to them with power. Jesus came to them in peace. But notice in verse 30 to the 20 to 31, Jesus comes to them with a purpose. And the Bible says, and Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. Now he heard the familiar voice. 
It was an unmistakable voice. That's why we ought to read the word of God because it's an unmistakable voice, amen? The Bible describes his voice as the voice of many waters. Listen, there's nothing mistaking about the word of God. There's nothing mistaking about reading his word and when he says, be not afraid. There's nothing mistaking about the fact, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. There's nothing mistaking about the fact it was the word of God. It was not the word of a man. It was not the word of a false prophet. It was the word of the living God that was working in their hearts right then and there. Peter speaks up there. And you notice the focus is on Peter because he sees our Lord not just walking in the water. I even imagine that moment of time Jesus was just standing on the water. He's just kind of enjoying himself and the winds were in his control and the waves were in his control and the rains could not stop him and the water was in their boat but the water didn't bother Jesus. In fact, I believe as Jesus walked in the water, he was completely dry. I don't think the water, water, water drenched him but one bit while these disciples are dripping wet with water from having been on the storm for several hours and they're looking at that and Peter's looking there as best he could and though it was dark and those murky could see Jesus. Remind you tonight, it may be this morning, it may be dark, it may be murky, your brain might be in a fog, you may be filled with fear, but just look for Jesus and you'll find him. You'll find him. And then he saw him there. And so Peter speaks up. And he's the only one that speaks up because the other 11 men are petrified with fear. They're thinking they saw a ghost. And they're thinking that maybe it's a demonic entity that came out to them. And he hit, But Peter listens to the voice of Christ. And he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Notice in Peter we see an unnatural faith. Now Peter asked God, to, he asked the Lord, he says, Lord, if it's really you, would you command me, would you bid me, would you beckon me to come out? He wanted God's permission. Lord, if it's really you walking the water, can I come to you? You know what Peter was saying? I think I'd feel safer out of the boat next to Jesus than I would be in the boat with these 11 scaredy cats, Amen. But I think he saw something else because I think maybe of the 12, maybe Peter was the only one that kind of just was starting to click in his mind what Jesus had done with those, those loaves and those fishes. And he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Peter's the only one that had this adventurous side to him and this boldness to him. And now, Peter, where you'll notice here, he's exercising unnatural faith. Can I tell you something this morning? Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean you shouldn't be exercising faith, amen? Just because you've got problems doesn't mean that you don't stop praying. And just because you have a storm of epic proportion doesn't mean that you stop trusting God. Listen, if there's ever a time we need to go on, storms don't stop Jesus and storms should not stop us. Listen, Peter, at that moment in time, is exercising unnatural faith. It was not a faith any man did. Listen, you think about Peter, he's the only one that walked on water next to Jesus. He's the only man recording history that walked on water. His, listen, he had the ability by the power of Christ to walk on that. The laws of gravity and the laws that were natural were defied. Gee, Peter walked on that water. And I could just imagine if you would for a minute, Peter just kind of looked out there. Jesus said, well, come. It was a commanding come. He said, come. You want to come out? Come. Exercise some faith. And I can imagine Peter was like the others. They were all holding on for dear life into the boat like this because they didn't want to get thrown out. The Bible says their boat was tossed in the waves and they were concerned about being tossed out. He's holding on and Jesus said, come. And he said, wow. I get to walk with Jesus on the water. That's a great attitude of faith. Amen. And listen, I can imagine Peter going like this. Okay. He sticks, puts his leg over. Lost his sandal in the water, amen? Steps one foot over. Hey, I'm holding on to the water. He puts his other foot on. He's still holding on for dear life. He's holding on. And finally, he's thinking, I got to let go. And he lets go. And he's, wow, I'm standing on water. 
And he's looking at Jesus the whole time. He's going first foot over, and he's looking at Jesus, and second foot over, he's looking at Jesus, and finally he lets go, maybe one at a time, and he lets go, and he says, hey, there he is, and he sees Jesus there standing, and I'd imagine Lord Jesus Christ with the smile of heaven on his face, waiting for Peter to come, and Peter just starts walking out like this. And then there's a puff of wind. The Bible says he goes from a natural faith to unnecessary fear. You notice what happens here. He has this faith. He goes out and he starts walking to the Lord. And the Bible says, verse 29, it says, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, hey, listen, Peter did more than everybody else in that boat. At least Peter let go of the ship. At least Peter put his foot on the water. At least Peter got his feet wet, amen? At least Peter exercised some faith in the midst of a storm, in the midst of fear, in the midst of difficulty, unnatural ways. Peter stepped his foot out there. Peter got his feet wet. And the Bible says when Peter was come out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Listen, in the midst of your storm, don't stop exercising faith. In the midst of your storm, don't stop praying for God to do something big in your life. In the midst of the storm, realize that that's the time most that God is trying to help us to see. He is God and he's controlled the whole situation. And but as he did so, he got this one puff of wind that was very strong. And the Bible says, when he saw the wind boisterous. Now, I have to remind you, it was dark. And you don't see wind. You can feel wind, but you don't see wind. I think he saw it in the wave. I think a wave came. I think the wind blew and a wave came. And he knew it was the wind that blew that wave. And maybe the wave drenched him. And as he did so, he felt the wind boisterous. The Bible says that at a moment of time that Peter got his eyes off the Lord. And he said, Lord, help me. Look what it says in verse 30. The Bible says, well, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Oh, here's a man who exercised unnatural faith. He did something nobody else around the Sea of Galilee's ever done. He did something there in Palestine that nobody ever did. He did something in Israel that no man ever did. Listen, and Moses, Moses part of the water. Moses never walked on the water. Jo- listen, the river Jordan, Joshua part of the water. Joshua never walked on water. Hey, listen, you go over there to Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha took the mantle and they spoke the waters of Jordan. They parted the waters but never walked on water. Listen, Peter in his, in his if you would, in his just broken state he was and fearful state. At least Peter had enough faith to believe that God, he could obey the word of God. He obeyed the commandment. He walked to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as soon as the wind started blowing again, the Bible says he became afraid and he started to say, Hey, let me tell you this morning, when we have unnecessary fear, we get our eyes on the wind instead of on the master of the wind. We get our eye, our eye on the storm instead of the Savior. Let me tell you, that's when we begin to sink. That's when we sink in our faith and we sink in our belief and we sink in our ability to trust God. Hey, maybe I'm talking to somebody today, you've gotten your eyes off the Lord and you, you've let the storm have more control of your situation than God have control of the situation. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face and realize today that when you get your eyes off the Lord, that's when you begin to sink. Peter exercised faith because Jesus said, come. When he said, come, he said, come without hesitation. Come with both eyes on me. Come in spite of the storm. Let me remind you, we're a church 20 years old and a lot of us are 20 years older. I remind you today that we've seen the glory days. We're going to be the days, there are going to be some grieving days with glory days. I'm going to remind you, there are going to be some days where there are going to be some storms in our lives that are going to come. Storms in your marriage and storms in your health and storms in your family. And listen, during those critical moments of time when the winds seem boisterous, we've got to have our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we stop exercising faith. <clears throat> 
It doesn't mean that we stop trusting God and living for the Lord. It doesn't mean we stop evangelizing the gospel or taking faith promise mission or seeing more people saved and having big days. Listen, those are the days we must exercise the natural faith because when we don't exercise the natural faith, unnecessary fear sets in when the storm we perceive is bigger than our Lord. And this unnecessary faith started to paralyze him. And this unnecessary faith came along and Peter began to sink and he started to sink. He felt the water go. He went from the water being on top of the water where now he's sinking. The water's to his ankles and maybe even the water got to his knees. We see this unnecessary fear. But notice the unworthy favor. He's starting to sink and he's scared. He's thinking, man, I know what happens here. If I'm going to sink in this storm, I'm not going to make it. I don't have a life jacket. I don't have a life preserver. They didn't even have any of those things in those days. And notice what the Bible says. When he began to sink, the Bible says in verse 30, he cried out and says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. Oh, can you imagine that? If Jesus was in the distance for him to reach out his hand to catch Peter, Peter was close enough to Jesus that he didn't have any reason to be fearful. A lot of us get really close, but not close enough. We get close enough, and then something distracts us and we start to sink. But I'm so glad that even though he was sinking, the love of our Savior was manifest in the darkness of that storm, the difficulty of the storm. Everything was at a standstill for everybody there. But Jesus immediately, as he saw him sinking, by the way, let me say this this morning, you might be sinking, but thank God Jesus immediately stretches forth his hand to reach you. And he caught him. Maybe this morning you feel like you're sinking. Would you just reach out to his hand and let him catch you? He said, verse 31, O thou, he's talking to Peter, of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now, I wonder, Peter, as he went on from there, he thought about that test of faith. And I wonder of all the things that Peter didn't do right in his training days. You kind of wonder if he accumulated all these things as lessons to remind him when he became a leader of the church. And he started planting churches. You kind of wonder as you get to Acts chapter 10 when he, when he carries the gospel to Cornelius the centurion and brings the gospel for the very first time to the Gentiles. You kind of wonder as he exercised faith if that taught him a lesson how to exercise faith in spite of the storm. We see the compelling. We see the commotion. We see the coming. We see the command. Even though there's storms, we still need to exercise faith. As we close this morning, would you notice the comprehension? All this is going on, they're still in a storm. The winds are howling. The winds are contrary. It's the fourth watch of the night. They haven't gone very far. Peter has been caught by Jesus in verse 31. And would you notice verse 32? When they were coming to the ship. Now, I, I just tell you my honest opinion about this, okay? It doesn't say, but I think this is what happened. Peter walked out to Jesus on the water. He started to sink. Notice they went to the ship. How do you think they got the ship? Jesus was still walking. I think he was holding Peter by the hand. And Peter kept walking on the water, amen? He walked with him on the water, got him into the ship. And notice something else here. The storm did not stop till Jesus was on the ship. You've got to get Jesus in your ship. You've got to get him in your boat. You've got to get his presence real to you. You've got to get to the point of realizing that they were, they, were, they were trying to do things without Jesus on the ship and they were going nowhere. Listen, if you're trying to solve your storm and your power, keep on trying, but you're just going to be going futilely like they did. 
And here they are, they put their trust and faith in the Lord. And the Bible says something very greater. It says in verse 32, number one, when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Hey, everything became calm. Listen, all the commotion became calm. The command of Christ became very real. The calmness came because Jesus got on the ship with Peter. And listen, he's holding on to Peter's hand and the winds obeyed him. Listen, he was creator God who was in control of the storm and of the winds and the waves. The winds ceased and the, the waves were calm. And listen, the waters were never more calmer than that moment of time when Jesus got on that ship. And listen, those men, they went from this place of being in commotion and their waves and their boat and their lives tossed upside down. And they're not really sure how this is all going to turn out. And Jesus gets on the ship. And the Bible says of these men, notice as we get to the closure, it says in verse 30, 30, 33, then they that were in the ship, who's they? That means the 11 plus Peter, the 11 in the ship, they came and worshiped. Now this wasn't a big boat to begin with. In fact, it may have been about most the length of this platform. And Jesus is on that ship. He's the only one completely dry. He's the only one the waves have not bothered. His hair is not turned upside down. He doesn't look frazzled by the wind. He's not frazzled by the storm. He's not dripping wet, but these men are. Their hair is all messed up. Listen, they're dripping wet with water. And the Bible says as Jesus stepped on that ship and the wind seized and the waves stopped, everything was under control. The band said they looked at that and the men came in that little, contract, that little, that little constricted space. And the Bible says they came and they worshiped Jesus. And I think all 12 of them, they kneeled down and they worshiped Jesus. And I want you to notice as we close this morning, they made an astounding statement. They made an astounding statement that equates to a profession of faith. They made an astounding statement that we need to make when we worship. The Bible says when they worship him, saying, of a truth, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. As we close this morning, I'm going to tell you, it's a truth. Jesus is the Son of God. Of a truth, he can calm the storms. Of a truth, he's in control. Of a truth, he's creator God. Of a truth, there's no storm bigger than Jesus. Of a truth, he's our great high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us. Of a truth, Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Of a truth that he's the one who's the anchor of the soul. Of a truth, he's the savior of all the world. Of a truth, he's the redeemer of our soul. Of a truth, he's the alpha and the omega. In the Greek alphabet, he's the beginning and the end. He starts and he finishes. I remind you today, of a truth, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Of a truth, he's the bread of life that feeds every soul. Of a truth, he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Of a truth, he's the Lord who's your shepherd. He's the chief shepherd and bishop of our soul. Of a truth, he's the great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of the everlasting covenant makes us perfect, complete to do all the will of God. Listen, of a truth, he's Jesus who comes alongside of us in our moment of weakness when we need strength and he gives us strength. He's the one who wraps his arms around us with his cables of grace that boosts us up. These men came to Jesus and they said, of a truth, thou art the son of God. Oh, listen, this morning, you can enter a storm and you can be in a storm and know it's a truth. He is the son of God. He is control of that storm and he's there for you no matter what may happen with that the truth these men came under the great impression at a time when they needed to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ it was only when he calmed the storm they acknowledge him but I remind you this morning just as that storm started Jesus doesn't guarantee to stop your storm. A lot of times he'll let the storm prevail that we might learn to have faith in him in spite of the storm. That we might learn that whatever the result is, it's all good as far as God's concerned. It's all good. Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You see, these men needed to comprehend the importance of the presence of Jesus Christ in their midst. Do you sense the importance 
of Jesus being in your midst? Can you feel the sense of his presence in your life? Are you in his presence day by day? Are you walking with the Lord? And then secondly, I think these men had to comprehend the importance of faith. Did you know that the greatest virtue we're constantly building and working on among many virtues in the Christian life is the virtue of faith? We have so little faith. And Jesus, as we look at these words that are recorded here, he's speaking to these men. He's saying, oh, thou, little faith. He's looking at Peter and says, Peter, you just had little faith. You had enough faith to let go of the boat. You had, little, you had enough faith to get on the water, but why'd you let go? And one this morning, if this is a, this is a time for us to do a, a checkpoint on our faith, do we, is our faith strong because we're in church? Because we're on brothers and sisters in Christ and people stronger than us? Or do we have an independent faith that says before God, not, not independent of God, but just a solitary faith that says, Lord, my eyes are upon thee. I trust in thee. Have faith that for your future and faith for your health and faith for your family. These men had to learn faith. But most importantly, these men had to learn that Jesus Christ is control of that situation. They needed to know that he was in control. May I say today, they said he was the son of God. What they needed to do is say that before a lot of other people. We need to realize today as Christians, as God's people, Jesus wants to hear that from our lips. But he sure wants to hear us as saved people, tell other people that of a truth he is the son of God. He wants us to be an avid witness of what we have. And then maybe today, there's somebody here this morning, you're going through a difficult time, or you're here today just trying to figure out what it's all about. The starting point in faith is calling on the name of the Lord to save you from your sins. And realizing this morning that you're a sinner on the way to hell. Your sins have to be punished. You have to die for your sins. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But we have good news for you this morning. Jesus came he was a God-man. He took upon the form of a man, yet without sin, because he was always God. He came to take your place and mine, to die on the cross for our sins. All of our punishment, he endured. He took all of our sin punishment, paid our sin debt in full. He did all that so that you could be saved. This morning, would you simply exercise faith and say, dear Jesus, I know I need to be saved today. I know this morning, in my heart of hearts, I'm a sinner who needs Christ as my Savior. We call upon you today, this morning, if you're not 100% sure you're saved, come to the Savior who can calm the storms. Let him be the Savior of your soul that can save you from your sins. And realize today that you can be saved from your sins. Heaven can be your home. You can be a son of God. And you can know for certain that those words Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also, that he'll begin preparing that place in heaven for you when that eventual day comes, when you have to say goodbye to this life and say hello to the Lord. Would you get saved today? Christian friend, would you be honest and humble enough to acknowledge the storm you're about to go into or that you're in and let him be the Lord of the storm? How about exercising faith during that time? How about exercising faith still, living for God? How about realizing in the midst of the storm that he's in control? We see Jesus in his person. Jesus and his power, Jesus bringing his peace, and Jesus having a purpose in the midst of the storm. Don't let the storm control you. Let the Savior have control of the storm. Father, this morning, we thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture in Matthew 14, and how it all comes together. They say, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And Father, we need to come to the realization that Christ, our Savior, is powerful. He's all-powerful. He's all-God. Lord, he seeks to have control every, of every life and realizing today that there's no storm greater than Christ. There's no storm that can overcome us. It's Lord, the Lord who overcomes the storm.
Now, for a moment here, with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there someone here today in the midst of a storm? You feel like those disciples, your boat's turned about, and the winds are contrary, they're blowing hard. You feel like you're drenched by the water that's coming to your boat. Your boat's starting to sink. Or some even have ventured out like Peter did. You made some good steps forward, but then you got your eyes off the Lord. You saw the wind boisterous and you started to sink. There's just some Christians here this morning who said, Pastor Fong, before the God of heaven, I'm in a storm right now. I need you to pray for me that I'll have great faith to trust God. You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I'm going through some storms today that I need prayer for. Anyone like that? God bless you. Who else today? Who else today? Say, pray for me. I'm going through some storms right now. I need God's help. Would you pray for me this morning? I'm going through some storms. Would you pray for me today? I can feel the waves. I can feel the wind. Now, how about some of you today that you're not sure you're saved and going to heaven? God loves you. Today, you can be born into God's family. Today can be the day that heaven can be your home. Simply right where you're seated, you can call on the Lord and tell him that you're a sinner, that you believe Jesus died for your sins, and accept him by faith today as your Savior. You can receive him today. Would you do that today? Would you do that? Would you pray something like this, dear God? I confess today I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I repent of my sins and believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I take Jesus now to be my Savior, to give me the gift of eternal life and to make me a son of God. Would you pray that prayer this morning and call on the Lord? And if you did pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something unusual. I'm going to ask you, as soon as the pianist starts playing, that you'd come out of your seat and come down to take the hand of one of the altar workers here and say, hey, I just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I just wanted you to know. You don't hold that good news to yourself. Share that good news with one of the altar workers. Let them know that that's what God wants you to do. Then, Christian friend, if you're going through some storm right now, you need God's help. Thank God this morning we have a Savior who's praying for us. He's our great intercessor. But how about you praying to him? And how about you being just very transparent like Peter was at that moment of time? He said, Lord, can I come to you? Lord, help me. And maybe you need God's help. You've been holding it to yourself. You've been trying to solve your storm when you need the Lord to solve your storm for you. Would you do that this morning? This is a time not for us to worry about what other people think, what other people see, but what does God see and what we're supposed to do is showing that we're responsible as God's people. Father, use the invitation time now for us to do mean business with you. Some need to come forward to receive Christ as Savior. Some probably prayed and asked Christ to save, but have not made that acknowledgement. Help them to come forward to make that clear today. Help others today who felt in their soul exactly like the disciples felt at that moment. They have felt their storm. They feel the waves and water coming to their boat. They feel the wind boisterous. They feel the difficulty and the darkness and realize they need help. Father, would you work in our midst today? Would you help us to be transparent? There are storms people are going through. We need to be transparent and realize we need you to be in control of the storm today. Please have your way, we pray. Please, Lord, be glorified.